Thank you so much. I have a switch to flip right here. I realize that in some places where I go, this little switch here is not really what governs the microphone. What it, it governs those people back there in that booth. If I flip it one way, if I don't flip it, they stand up and wave their hands, and I flip it, and they sit down. If I turn it, flip it the other way again, they stand up and wave their hands, and I flip it the other way, sit back down. So it really controls them back there in that booth. I, th- I think they're calm and peaceful for right now. They want to leave it that way. I have to admit, it's been wonderful this morning. I'm so glad that this is not the Lord's morning. This is what we call the Lord's day. It's the day, not just a couple hours in the morning, but the Lord's day. And I'm glad it's not over after the service is over this morning. We still have the rest of the day to live through together in the wonderful things of the Lord. And I have to say, as I stand before you this morning, I I feel kind of like uh, the Queen of Sheba must have felt. Now, don't take that the wrong way. Now, Dan and and Richie, don't you two guys run with that. I'm, I'm just saying that... I've heard about Pastoria Baptist Church, but now that I've been here, I can say the half has not been told me. <laughs> the half has not been told me, and it's been wonderful. The half I heard and the half I've discovered have been wonderful halves about the Pastoria Baptist Church. And then every time I've heard anything about this church, it's been about the people of this church. And I'm so glad to have been able to be here and see for myself, and I'm still looking forward to the day when I'll be here again just on a visit. It's fine with me just on a visit with my dear precious wife beside me. You, you need to meet her because the half has not been told you either about that dear precious lady. So it's just so good to be with you this morning. But because of time, let me get right to our passage for this morning. I want us to talk this morning about a parable in the Bible. And a, a preacher, a Welsh preacher years ago, you can turn to Luke chapter 14 if you wish. Excuse me, Luke 15 if you wish. Uh, while you're turning, I'll just mention that it was... a a Welsh preacher from years ago from the country of Wales, and something I was reading by him, he said that a a parable in the Bible is like a a window to a building of some kind. You're on the outside, something's going on on the inside, but if it was a solid wall, you wouldn't know what that was that was going on on the inside. Even if you thought you could hear something and and, uh, suspect something going on, but a parable is like a window that lets you see from the outside to the inside and know what's going on on the inside of that building. A parable given by the Lord Jesus is a a story made up. It's a story that's not necessarily lived out and true in that sense, but it's a made-up story that the Lord uses for us to look on the inside of a truth that he wants us to see. And inside every story, every parable, there's something, a truth that God wants us to learn. And so the Bible says in one passage that uh, starting at one certain moment in his ministry, the Bible says that Jesus spoke to them no more without parables. Because the people had to learn the truths that they were, he was trying to get over to the people. So we have here in Luke 15 a chapter of parables. Sometimes it's called that a chapter of parables. It's the chapter of lost things as we see here in this chapter. You may have already noticed that before. That in some of the verses like uh, verses 3 to 7 you have the parable of the lost sheep. Verses 8 to 10, you have the parable of the lost coin. In our passage today, you have the parable of the lost son that we're going to be talking about. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. A preacher friend down in Georgia some time ago put a bug in my ear, and that's a strange expression. I don't know where we got it. But anyway, he put a thought in my mind and uh, 
told me to take it and think about it and to see what I could do with it. So I sat down and uh, with the Bible and a scratch piece of paper began to, before the Lord, try to understand what he was talking about because I'd looked at the parable most of the time from the aspect of the son. He said, have you ever looked at the parable strictly from the aspect of the father? The father. And I wanted to do that. And I sat down and, and followed his advice and found some precious truths in this story, looking at it from the aspect of the father. The father in this parable obviously would speak of our heavenly father, God the father. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. And he said, our father which art in heaven. We're talking about our heavenly father. Let's see what we can learn about the father this morning in this story, this parable of the lost son, the one we call the prodigal son. <clears throat> but before we begin to read, would you pray with me, please? Our dear heavenly father, we're so very conscious of the fact that we cannot learn from this passage what we need to learn unless you help us this morning. We have the will and the desire, but we cannot grasp everything that's in the heavenlies. We cannot grasp everything that's there where you are. We need help, and we pray that the Holy Spirit will be there to do that. We need you to speak to our hearts through the written word and by way of the Holy Spirit as he comes and whispers in our ears and whispers to our hearts and talks to us and shows us things we need to hear, need to see this morning as we look at this young man and look at his father and learn something about ourselves. I do pray this morning in that lovely, precious name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, if you do have your place there in Luke chapter 15, then let's notice beginning in verse 11 to 13, I'm going to take it piece by piece. And I want to talk to you this morning about what the Father cannot do. What the Father cannot do. Because I know we think that the Father can do anything. And He can. He can do anything He wants. But there are three things I see in this passage that the Heavenly Father cannot do. And that's true for your life and mine as well. And especially for, well, for anybody, but we think especially of young people. Teenagers, pre-teenagers, young people in their 20s, we can see that we'll all face this problem in our lives that will put God in a situation where he just can't do what he wants to do. Let's notice this beginning in verses 11 to 13 and the first thing that we see here. So you're in Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. And he said, that's Jesus, of course, speaking. He said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. May I stop right there and say, first of all, that what this father could not do in this case was he could not stop his son from leaving. He could not stop his son from leaving. The father had the power to retain the son. He had the ability to retain the son. But he knew that would do no good to make that son stay at home by force. The son had to want to be there. He could have had help to stop him. As we look at this story and as the son was talking later on about his father, I'll go back to my, my father's house, he says, because my father has many servants, and they're all better off than I am. And so uh, we see that in this story where the father could have not only retained him and held on to him by himself, but he had servants to help him. He had an elder brother that could have helped him. He had the servants that could have helped him. The father had the power to stop him, 
But there are some times in life when you have to let the child do what the child is determined to do. Sometimes you can't stop him no matter what you want to do. He could have had help to stop him, but he spoke to him. But he was powerless to stop his son from leaving. Sometimes as parents with a daughter, then two sons, and another daughter with our four children. Now we have 12 grandchildren. You know, sometimes in life, sometimes in life, a father can only go just so far. And he can't go any farther to stop a child from wandering off into the foolish things of the world. Sometimes a parent's heart is broken because no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you talk, no matter how hard you speak, how hard you plead with that young person to come to their senses and stop what they're wanting to do, there's sometimes when a, a parent is powerless to stop that child. You can't take them by force. You can't take them by force. The son that refuses to follow the teaching of, and the instruction he received in the home and in the church. How many times we've seen young people that had tremendous good instruction and they left it, threw it all to the wind and left anyway to go off and live a riotous life just like this son here. The son that leaves and goes far away and and, you know, so many parents are afraid that the next time they'll hear from anything about their son or their daughter is when a policeman knocks at the door. And, and so many times in life, we would like to stop them, but there's no way we can. Sometimes we just don't have that power and ability as a parent to stop a child from doing something he doesn't want. And God, even though he has all power, has the ability to stop anybody from doing anything. But he knows that there's times when he just can't do it. He has the power, but he can't always stop a son that wants to sin. And if you want to sin today, if you want to be away from God today, if you want to go your own way, you don't want to follow God's way, if you don't want to walk a path that is dictated and shown clearly in the scriptures, God has the power to stop you. But most of the time, you know, once in a while I've seen where God intervened, and I thank God that there were times in my life he intervened, and I don't know why, but he just stopped me dead in my tracks. But he knows that most of the time, he just cannot allow himself to do that with every person in every case. If you want to get away from God, you can. If you want to go off in sin, you can. If you want to throw your life down the drain, you can. If you want to live your own way, and there's only two ways to live. It's either God's way or Satan's way. People say, I don't want to live with authority over me and people dictating my, my conduct and what I do and where I go and what I say. I don't want to have anybody tell me what I can do and what I can't. So they get away from God, they get away from mom and dad, and they go off in the world, and they don't realize that they're living under the dictates of a very evil master called Satan. You will either live under the hand of God, the precious, kind, soft, loving hand of God, or you will live under the evil, wicked hand of Satan. You will live under one or the other. And God many times looks upon us, and he sees what we want to do, and he knows that he could stop us, stop us dead in our tracks. But he just can't always do that. He has the power. But, you know, the, there's a reason for that. Because God is not looking for, for robots. He didn't build robots. He built people. He creates people. He makes people like you and I. And God could have put in you and I a heavenly chip from years ago that would tell you everything you're supposed to do and you would live by that microchip in your heart. He could have put something in your heart to where you would live exactly the way he told you to live, exactly the way he wanted you to live. He could have put something in the heart of man since the day of creation back in the garden where man had no choice but to live in a certain way, but he gave him a choice. Everything was there to man's disposable, disposal except that tree, that one tree, so that man would have a choice to live this way 
or that way, by man's choice, by man saying, I will or I won't, because he wanted to do it out of love for God and not because he was forced to like a robot. God doesn't build robots. He doesn't build robots. He wants you to stay out uh, of these other things and out of that kind of life, out of love. Yes, he, he could have stopped him from leaving, but he wouldn't have had a son. He would have had a robot chained at the, at the house somewhere to where he couldn't leave. He had the force and the power and the help to do it. And that's the way it is today. That's one thing God can't do. If you want to leave, if you want to wander away, if you want to live your own life your own way, he has the power. He just cannot bring himself to stopping you because he knows it wouldn't do a bit of good to have a child like that. But there's something else, a second thing that God can't do in this story. And by the way, if you remember when Jesus was with his disciples in the gardens, we read that verse a couple days ago over in John 6, chapter 6 and verse 66. And we don't need to turn to it now. We did look at it the other night. We're starting at that particular moment there in the garden just before Jesus was led away to be tried in that mockery of a trial and then crucified. And the Bible says that every one of his disciples fled and ran far from him. They left him standing there alone as every one of them fled and ran away. We see that they came back later. But there was a time when they fled and Jesus had the power to stop them. He could have had that power because he's God. He was God, still is God. He's God. He could have stopped them. He could have had a power that would keep them from going and living their foolish life and running from him in the dark of the night. But he had to let them go. We see later on when John stood at the foot of the cross and Jesus looked down from the cross and saw John. He came back. The others came back later and he took, made sure that John took care of his mother Mary. He came back at the foot of the cross and Jesus looked down and he said to John that this will be your mother and to his mother this will be your, your son that he would take Mary in and take care of her. You see, we can go away, but we can come back. And Jesus couldn't stop them when they fled. He won't stop you if you want to flee today. But let's notice that second thought, if you will, please. Beginning in verse 14. There was a second thing that this father could not do, and, and our Heavenly Father just cannot bring himself to doing the same thing either. In verse 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. Do you see the deplorable condition of that young man now in this faraway country? The Bible says a faraway country. And there's a second thing here that I see that the father could not do. Is the father could not go after him and drag him back. The father could not go after that son in that country and drag him back. Now, this was a father of some influence. He, according to the story, it's a parable, but according to the way it's written, with his, his servants and the other people he had working for him, he had the ability, no doubt, to go to that place and find him there and bring him back home, even if it had to be by force. But here again, he knew that that wouldn't be worth a thing, to go and drag him back home by force. He just couldn't do it. He couldn't go after him. The son was living in misery. He was living in the, the worst of sins. And now all that was gone. The, the money was gone. His friends were gone. And his health was going fast and all the rest. And he was feeding swine, which was an abomination to a Jewish person. But the father knew he had the power. He could have sent servants down in that part of the country. He could have sent servants there to say, go 
check on my son and see how he's doing. And sent servants down to check it out and, and to see how he was doing and find out how he was doing and then come back and receive the report from the servants and say, well, now we've got to do something about that. I can't leave my son down there in that kind of condition, feeding the swine and living with the animals in, in such a deplorable, miserable condition. The father could have said, we've got to do something, so I'm going to take a half a dozen of you men. We're going to go down there. We're going to bring my son home, even if we have to drag him back in chains. We're going to bring him home. I'm not going to leave my son in that condition. And you know, the, the father in this story had to do something that's one of the hardest things that any parent will ever have to do. You have to wait. All you can do sometimes is wait. He had to wait for the child to have that change and turnabout in his own heart and life. Sometimes the hardest thing you can do as a parent when you see your child wandered off into the terrible things of the world is to pray and wait. To pray and wait. And when they're close enough to talk to them, you talk to them and you implore them, you beseech them. But when they're gone physically away from you, you do what you can. I have no doubt that uh, this father would have the means to send somebody down there to check on that son and to bring back reports from time to time. For as long as he was away, he could have had some of his servants go down there every week, every month, to check on that son and bring back regular reports on how he was doing. And he could have said, finally, enough's enough, let's go get him and bring him back. But you know what would have happened if he'd have brought him back in that way? He wouldn't have had a son, he would have had a slave. He wouldn't, God was not looking for robots. He's not looking for slaves. It's a totally different thing he's looking for. Thank God that, that he gives us that. Somebody mentioned it earlier, a God of the second chance. I believe it was Brother Bowie was, had gotten away from God after he gotten saved. It's hard for me to imagine when I see him now, the way he walks with the Lord and how close to the Lord he is. But he'd gotten saved and had gotten away from the Lord for a while. And he said he thanked God that God is a God of second chances because he brought him back and closer to him and he's walking with him now. And I'm so glad to know that this father had the patience to wait and the faith to wait. We see that inside this window, looking through the window, we can see that truth in this story about our heavenly father that knows that we are, have gotten away from him. He sees when we're away. You can be sitting here in this pew this morning and you're away from God and you know it. You can be right here with us this morning and you know how close you are to God. And by the way, that will be our subject for the message this evening as we close this conference is how close to God are you? How close to God are you? We'll be talking about this evening, this evening the Lord willing. And a story from the Bible that will show us how we can know how close we are and show us how we can get closer to the Lord himself. But this father knew that if he brought his son back in chains, chained like a slave to a room, to a post, to a, in, inside a room someplace, he knew that he would have his son back, but he wouldn't really be a son. He'd just be somebody that they'd locked in that room, somebody they'd chained to those chains, somebody they'd drugged back by force. It wouldn't really be his son except by name. And God is not wanting just that. Notice over in Ezekiel, if you will, please, chapter 18. Ezekiel 18, just a few simple thoughts there in Ezekiel 18, if you will. I'll give you time to find it. We won't read too many verses there, but just a few as you look at Ezekiel 18. And beginning in verse 20. Ezekiel 18 and verse 20. And if you found your place, we need to hurry along. So I'll start in verse 20, Ezekiel 18 and verse 20. He says this, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, 
Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if, oh, wonderful phrase that. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions, notice this, verse 22 is wonderful. All his transgressions that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him. Isn't that wonderful? That when I accepted Christ as my Savior, everything I've done has never been brought up one time since then. I was saved when I was 13. I hadn't done as much as an older person might have had time to do, but everything I ever did, everything I could have possibly done has never once been brought up to me. And God will never bring up to you anything from the past when you enter into salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall not be mentioned unto him, it says in verse 22, in his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. You see, the father could not stop the son from leaving. And the father could not go down there where he was and drag him home. But I want us to move on to that third and last point for this morning. Thank God. Thank God. There's a third thing. A third thing that the father cannot do. He couldn't stop him from leaving. And he couldn't go down and drag him home by force. But thank God. He cannot refuse the repentant son that wants to come home. He cannot refuse the repentant son that wants to come home. My dear friend, this morning, man or woman or young person, if you're away from God this morning, if you repent of your sins and turn your heart to Christ, he cannot refuse you. He cannot refuse the repentant son that wants to come home. Notice, if you will, verse 17. And it starts off with what we need to see in each one of our lives. He says, and when he came to himself, that's the son, when he came to himself, when he finally got his head screwed on right, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son and make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And, you know, at this point, excuse me, I'll stop briefly. I can just imagine in his mind what he thought the reception was going to be like. He was thinking that certainly the reception is going to be rough. I'm going to have to confess, I'm going to have to admit, and my father's going to lay it on me, that old I told you so type of thing, and all the rest that goes with it, I'm going to be in for it, but I still have just got to go home. So he goes on there, but, verse 20, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him, and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. And he was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. No, the father won't stop you if you insist on leaving, and he won't go drag you back if you insist on staying there for a while. But when you come to yourself and you say, I want to go home, I want to go to the Father, 
my Heavenly Father, whether you're talking about a, a lost person that's away from everything that he had learned and, and is lost in his sins and lost in his life, or whether you're talking about a person that has made a profession, says they're saved, but they've gotten away from God, when you want to come home, the door is open. When you want to come home, remember God rent the veil then too. He never closed it up again. He rent the veil in two when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he's never closed it up again. It's still rent wide open today. When he rent that veil in two from top to bottom and separated that passageway, opened up that passageway from the outer court to the holy place into the holy of holies, that door is wide open, has always been wide open. Ever since that day when God rent it in two from top to bottom, the door is open. You can come home anytime you're ready. Not when God is ready. He's always ready. Ever since that son left home, the father was ready. When the the son was gone and wasting away his substance in riotous living, the father was ready. The problem is not with the father. The problem was with the son. And when he came to himself, he says, I'll go back to my father. He knew he was going to be welcomed in some way back home, but he had to try. It was certainly better than where he was and what he was doing. Now, any father can do that. Some fathers don't. Some fathers hold grudges. Some fathers don't forgive. But not the Heavenly Father. He holds no grudges. He's always ready to forgive. He'll welcome you back. Luke 17, verse 3. It'll be our last verse for this morning. I'm just going to read it quickly. Uh, Luke 17, and verse 3, just... uh, page over from us, page or two, it says this, Luke 17, verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. It's all based upon that word, repent. Repentance. God cannot refuse the wayward son, the repentant son that wants to come home. Thank God that if you're serious, if you mean it, and God knows it, he'll see it in your heart. He'll welcome you with open arms. He'll clothe you with his own righteousness. Put a ring upon your finger to show that you belong to him. All of these things that he did for this son here, he'll do for you in your heart, in your life, if you'll come to him. I remember reading a story as I come to a close. I think of a story. I read a true story, and I prefer the true stories. They're, They're always the best. There was a young farm boy. Came up into his late teens, and he was rough. Since his mid-teens, he had already become a real problem for his mom and dad. Good, godly people, but somehow along the way, the son was uh, like this son here in riotous living. He lived a bad, hard, mean, wicked life. Broke the heart of his parents day after day after day. And especially of his mother. And, you know, that really gets to a mama to see her boy living the way this boy was living. A true story I read. And, and uh, it says that in this story that the father called his son out of the house one day. He said, I want you to see something I did in the backyard. They went out into the backyard. And there the father had just behind the house in the backyard. It, didn't, it wasn't attached to anything else. The father had put a post in the ground. I don't know if it it was a square post, it was a four by four, six by six, six by six, but he put this post, a large post, down in the ground and set it up like a fence post, but it was by itself. He says, now son, day after day, every day that you live, you're breaking our hearts and you're going to kill your mother. The way you're living, you're going to kill your mother because her heart is broken over the things you do day after day. You're in trouble in town, you're in trouble with the police, you're in trouble at school, You're, you're hateful and mean to us. Now, every time, every single time, 
you do something wrong, I'm going to drive a nail in that post. Because I want you to have something where you can see visually what you're doing. And every single day, the, the son laughed at that, scoffed at that. But every single day, the son would do something that was bad and wrong. The father would simply go out and get a big nail and drive it in that post. And day by day and week by week and month by month, that post filled up with nails. Nail after nail after nail until the four sides of that post were littered and covered with these nails the father had put in. But God is a God of grace and a God of goodness. And reaching down from heaven, he reached into the heart and the life of that young man that was now three or four years older, three or four years older than when that post was put up. But God reached down into the heart and the life of that young man and saved his soul. The young man turned his heart to God. He was sincere. He meant he really got saved. And his heart was changed. And he felt bad about the way he had aged his parents so bad through the years by the sin in his life. And he went to his dad and he says, Dad, will you let me do something now that every time I do something good, every time I do something for you and mom that is good for you and, and pleasing or something around town, will you let me take a hammer out there and take that claw and the hammer and pull one of those nails out? Sure, son, anytime you want. And day by day, week after week, months went by until finally that post was cleaned of the very last nail. The boy called his dad out. I want you to see, Dad, you know, what I just did in town. It was a good thing. You appreciated that. I'm going to pull out that last nail. And he pulled that last nail out. His father was standing there watching as he pulled the very last nail out of that post. And the father was surprised to look over and see his son weeping. To see his son weeping. He said, but son, why are you weeping? The last nail is gone. Aren't you happy? Dad, I'm, I'm happy. Yes, but look at the condition of the post. Look at the condition of the post. It's covered with holes. It's covered with rust. The, the post is broken and cracked from the winter and the snows and the summer suns and the nails and, and the rain and everything else. Look at the miserable condition of that post after these years of the way I lived. I've taken the nails out. But oh, the damage that was done. Oh, the damage that was done. And the father could just... Hug his son and say, it's all right. It's all right, son. We'll take that post down. That post will go down. We'll never look at it again. It's gone forever. And so are all those things from the past. My friend, today God wants to wipe it all out. He wants to wipe it all out forever. Because God did that for me. He did it for the Jenkins. He did it for so many others here in this room. He came into your life. And he didn't just let you pull out the nails. He took the post down. It's gone. It's not there as a reminder. It's gone forever, my dear friends. God could not go after you if you insist on going away. He can't stop you from leaving. He can't drag you back. You've got to come to your place like this young man. When he came to himself and he repented of his miserable condition that he had brought entirely upon himself. It had no fault of his father's in it. No fault of his brother or the others. Could, he could point the finger at nobody but himself but himself. But the answer was the same place, in himself. In himself. And when he came back, instead of criticisms, instead of I told you so's and all these other things, and going to lay down the law, you're going to have to walk by these new rules I'm going to put up for you now that you're back. No. He just got hugs and kisses from the Father. Hugs and kisses from the Father. My dear friend, this morning I have no doubt that in this auditorium there are some people here that needs hugs and kisses from the Father. 
because you've been away. There are people here today, I have no doubt, not because I know you, I don't know a thing about you, but I have no doubt that there are people here this morning that need some hugs and kisses from the Father. Because if you're ready to come home, he's ready to receive. Whether it's for salvation or a child of God that's not been living the way you should for the Heavenly Father, if you're ready to come to him this morning, the Father's arms are open. The Father's are open, and he's waiting for you right now. Pastor, would you come? I ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium.